Howdy, everybody, and welcome back over to the Lighter Side podcast. I think it was Alfred Lord Tennyson who once said, I hold it true, whate'er befall. I feel it when I sorrow most. Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And I quote that, uh, one, to show people that I'm so smug, I know the lines before those famous lines. And I also quote it so I can put out this fun fact, that it was actually written about his best friend who died and not uh, a romantic love affair that um, you know we all think about when, when we think about that line. So, ha, think about how smart I am when I get to, before a podcast starts, choose the fact that I'm going to share with everybody. Roll the credits? Yeah, let's just roll the credits. <laughs> no, we can't roll the credits quite yet. We have to at least explain to our listener uh, what it is that we do here. So this is the Lighter Side Podcast. I am Jared, and that is my brother, Doff Lundgren. And what we do here is... Uh, basically take some sort of text or we look at a famous uh, author or researcher or just kid genius and we, we try to break down why maybe a, 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 an audience who would never have listened to this person, read this person's work um, or watched one of these person's videos or listened to one of these person's songs or whatever, we try to share um, whatever you know, makes that text or that person so special uh, with the world. So this week, we are really excited to talk about Adam Grant, who we have coined the nicest smart person uh, maybe in the world. He has a very cool way of explaining things. Uh, it is both incredibly kind and heartfelt, but also like really pragmatic and um, not, I wouldn't say calculating or calculated, but like really geared towards how to make someone more successful. So it's a really fun conversation. Um, Adam Grant's a brilliant man. Organizational psychologist is what he calls himself. Two words that I love, but not really sure how they go together until I heard about Adam Grant. So um, pretty excited for this podcast today. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm super excited to talk about Adam Grant. He is somebody who I didn't really know much about before jumping into this at all. You know, you had started to read this book that we're gonna talk about and uh, suggested him. And I have just been binging everything that he's done online, uh, having to do specifically with this subject. Um, I think he may be like, uh, in terms of the people we've talked about uh, so far on these shows, I, I would say this is, this is the one that uh, maybe has the most benefit to just everybody, to just, just give a listen to Adam Grant, just hear what he has to say. Uh, really, really brilliant guy. And I mean, his job is to, you know, make people get along better, kind of, you know, make people more productive together. Um, uh, and, and it's really, really cool stuff. Yes. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, we are going to basically share with you a little bit of background to Adam Grant, what we know, uh, what we've gotten to know. Then we are going to go into a brief summary of his book, Think Again, and his little podcast tour he's been taking um, in order to explain the book, Think Again. And then we are going to get into some really cool conversation, deep diving on some of Adam Grant's points, some of his philosophies, some of his psychologies, if that's a word used in that frame of mind. It's not, but whatever. Um, we're we're going to just have a good conversation about that. And then hopefully at the end, thus being the lighter side, we're going to leave you with um, a silver lining of what you can take with you. And the cool thing about Adam Grant is it literally is all silver lining. So it is. Uh, 
Should be, should be a real good show. Sounds good. Now, can we roll the credits? Roll the credits. No, roll the credits hey. now. It has to be when I say it. Roll the credits. <laughs> now. Man, that intro music gets sicker every single time, isn't it? It's just absolutely rocks. I love the fact, and this is true, right? You did that by yourself with a synthesizer. Is that true? Yes. If a synthesizer, mean by uh, my computer and by myself, meaning um, downloading it from somebody else. Yes. Who downloaded, who downloaded it, Josh? I downloaded it. Boom. Yeah, you got to be able to give yourself some credit. So yeah. as we talked about... Um, we are going to be looking at, you know, we, we can kind of call this just the Adam Grant episode, let's be honest, because we're going to talk a lot about Adam Grant as a whole. Uh, but what we've really been looking at recently is his book, Think Again. I am holding the book physically for our YouTube audience. And I just want to say, if you are watching this on YouTube, we really appreciate it. Um, we do. But it would make me feel better if you listen to it in some sort of appropriate Spotify manner. And it's because my brain or not Spotify, on wherever, wherever podcasts are sold, it would make me feel better because what I, what I think, this is a free podcast, quit. It, it, I'm worried about your battery draining having us up on YouTube this whole time. So that's bothering me. Although I do want you to be able to see our faces. Um, but I am holding the book up for our YouTube audience. And the book is called Think Again, um, which you can read because I'm holding it up on our YouTube. And um, the book is all about this concept that we as human beings are not very good at um, picking things up in the moment. Our, our brains actually fall short quite often, and we need to do a lot of rethinking. That's a term that seems so simple, but a term he uses uh, a lot in the book. But to tell you a little bit about Adam Grant, he is a multi-time New York Times best-selling author. He is... In, he is an organizational psychologist, as we said, from, um, he's actually from the Wharton School of Business, which is the business school at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. He has been rated the top professor there for 10 straight years or like over 10 straight years. So over a decade, he's been rated the top professor, which is incredibly important when thinking about a business school like that, that takes ratings into high consideration. I'm sure, you know, especially at the University of Pennsylvania, that is uh, highly regarded. And what's funny is Adam Grant always brags about that point. And I think he does so really intelligently because he's trying to highlight this thing that is a common narrative in what he does, which is like, be a good person. Being a good person ultimately is going to have tons of payoffs for you, which is something we're going to talk about with Adam Grant. Um, I was, became aware of Adam Grant a little bit before Josh did. I got to listen to some of his TED Talks when they first came out years ago. I heard him um, talk to a man by the name of Malcolm Gladwell that we have talked about before on here. Um, and I was struck the moment I first heard Adam Grant because if I didn't know any better, I would call him downright... Um, like timid, like all like there's like, or fragile or like, I can't think of a good word that describes him. And yet nothing he does is anything short of incredible. But like he has such a 
timidity to him, even though he is incredibly outgoing, outspoken. Um, you know, he's the most lovely person who is also so much smarter than everybody else in the room at all times. Um, so when did you first become aware of him, Josh? And, and what have your thoughts been so far before we really get into what Think Again is all about? Yeah, I mean, um, you you started reading Thick Again and let me know. So just to preface, I actually have not read Think Again, um, but all of the research that I did in terms of listening to all the podcasts uh, that he's done with people promoting Think Again, talking about Think Again, um, I've definitely focused on that, that kind of stuff. And going back, um, I mean, he's someone who's been on, he has his own TED-sponsored podcast. Um, he's been on multiple other people's podcasts. Which can I can I can I interject for one quick second? I'm sorry. I just want to make sure we get to this. Um, it's a his podcast that he does with Ted is called Work Life, uh, Work Life with Adam Grant, and the tagline for the show is actually the tagline for his research is he studies how to make work not suck, especially for those of you out there in positions of management or leadership or any of you who find yourself in what you would consider a general office setting, holy crap. If you're not listening to Work Life with Adam Grant, you are missing out. I mean, we spend eight hours a day plus at work. Um, If you're not thinking about ways to make that not suck, thinking about ways to maximize your happiness, maximize your productivity, um, really missing out. So sorry, I just wanted to make sure I got that plug in there. No, I mean, you're, you're good. We're going to have nothing but these just uh, emphatic things to say about how useful everything this guy does is. It's kind of insane how consistently useful all of his research, all of his writings are for everybody. And I've actually, so going back and doing some YouTube research, I've definitely seen one or two of his TED Talks. He does a lot. He's done many TED Talks in the past. Some he, talks of are, to, he talks to TED on a regular occasion. <laughs> Right. And some of them are pretty uh, big TED Talks have gotten quite a few views online as well. Um, so he's definitely a guy who, who, if you're in the podcast sphere, if you spend a lot of time listening to podcasts or who you, if you're a big TED Talk person, you, there's, there's a decent chance you've heard him talk or have, have, have seen one of his uh, uh, TED Talks. Um, but, you know, he yes, his advocacy, he, it really starts in, in the thing that really immediately grabbed my attention was it all starts with just the way we think, right? Uh, I mean, it, 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 he, he kind of advocates for the scientific method um, for all of your thought, right? And it's so easy to kind of write that. He does it, like Jared said, in the, in the lens, through the lens of a really, really good person who's trying to improve the world and be good to people around him. Right. Like he... It's not science in a cold, calculated way. It's science in a, if we all mutually agree, by the end of this 24-hour day, we want to have the most good feelings and the least bad feelings. Like, this is how you do that. So he almost cuts through that BS of what we, what we could do or what we couldn't do or how we do feel or how we'd like. It's like, okay, how should we feel? How do we want to feel? And how do we get there? Like, it's like how to maximize human flourishing and minimize like just suffering and frustration and anxiety and all that stuff. So he really gets at the heart of this. Like, and I think you're absolutely right. If you're, if you've tried to listen to people we've recommended before and they were a little bit too heady or a little bit out there, I think Adam Grant is going to be the best option for someone who just 
explains things. So not only do you get it, but you actually want to do something about it because it yeah. feels so doable after he explains it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he's such, he, he is such an, a motivational individual and, and it's the greatest, like his material is the greatest thing to get motivated about, right? Because it's just a combination of being a good person, making decisions that benefit your happiness and the happiness of people around you and, and really pull you out of bad habits, bad thinking habits as well, which I think is something that circles right back around a soups, uh, a super relevant thing that we talk about a lot, which is these, these bad habits of thinking and kind of what it results in. Um, so that being said, we kind of introduced the basis of, of what he's going to talk about. Is there somewhere you want to start? Like, is there something you want to hit on first? What, what are you thinking? Yeah. So there's one thing we're going to talk about a lot. I, well, you know what? I, we always say that and then we get off on tangent. So there's one thing we're definitely going to hit, which is this notion of um, these three, these three kind of, modes you slip into in your brain, which are you can be preacher mode, politician mode, and um, prosecutor mode. Right. And although I think not only are we going to spend some time there and maybe learn a little bit about ourselves and grow, grow for a second, um, I think it'd be smarter to take a look at the book and to maybe show some people um, a couple of the stories Adam Grant shares and then maybe to, to show you why this book exists, and maybe this will give you a good explanation of um, how rethinking matters. So, so let me try this. And if it ends up going horribly wrong, Josh will edit it out in post. But I just want to give you um, some background about why this book exists. So it, it's, it's deemed this idea. So it's like... Um, Intelligence is usually seen as the ability to think and learn, but in rapidly changing world, there's another set of cognitive skills that might matter more, the ability to rethink and unlearn. The argument Adam Grant is making is that the ability to rethink is in itself a form of intelligence that we all need to adapt and we all need to get better at exercising. And one of the awesome examples he uses in the book is the story of Blackberry, right? Nobody would question that the amount of computing power, the amount of intelligence it required to create the BlackBerry, to design the BlackBerry, to market the BlackBerry, it's, it's groundbreaking. It's revolutionary. It is almost at or at the level of anything Apple ever did, or at least back at that time. It was at, it was at the level. It ha- so it has nothing to do with this idea of intelligence, Right. Or, or strict computing power of one's intelligence. What Adam Grant looks at is, well, why do businesses like BlackBerry often fail? And the notion or where he gets to is this idea that this really, really smart person, you know, who founded BlackBerry keeps betting on themselves because they trust their intelligence. But what they didn't trust was that they might need to rethink some things that they took for granted for a long time. Things such as the, you know, um, the keyboard. That was the big sticking point for a long time. But by the time the BlackBerry got rid of the keyboard, it was too late. They, they'd already basically um, been buried by Apple at that point. But had they just adapted a little bit quicker, you know, and what Adam Grant really argues is that the problem with that has nothing to do with this intelligence. When we look at Apple and we think, oh my gosh, they're always so ahead of the game. They're always so much smarter. And if we define smarter as 
having all the information crammed in your brain beforehand to make informed choices will then no, that's not what makes Apple so much more successful. Uh, what makes Apple so successful is to stop and think, okay, what is it I'm getting wrong? What is it I'm missing? What do I need to totally rethink in order to become innovative in any capacity? So um, that's just like a little highlight of what rethinking is defined as, I guess, in the book. Um, he also has some examples of, um, you know, some firefighters who like had really counterintuitive ideas on how to survive when engulfed by fire, like using fire literally to fight fire, um, which were really interesting. But he gives all these little examples of how what might make you suited for success really isn't your raw computing power intelligence. It's your ability to take a mental stock of where you're at and like recognize you might be fundamentally wrong about something. And that really, I think, is going to lead us into the next part of the conversation that I kind of teased. But, you know, that is maybe at a baseline what rethinking is um, to Adam Grant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, at, at the core, it's definitely challenging your, your assumptions, right? And your ability to challenge your, to challenge your assumptions uh, is, is a, just a key part of what he would call the most intelligent people, right? The most intelligent people are the ones who are never – just and, and this this drops you right back to like I said it's like the scientific method for all of your thoughts right the scientific method you come up with a theory but you are always trying to disprove that theory and your inability to disprove that theory is what makes that a strong theory right that's how science that's how the brain of a scientist works and he's like you know to a certain degree we need to apply this to everything we think about right we should be challenging our assumptions and our intelligence really boils down to am i willing to challenge the stuff that i see as true as i believe in whatever am i willing to challenge that and am i willing to if there if the argument against it is strong enough am i willing to shift my perspective uh, and yeah that's pretty much what it boils down to yeah but there's a lot there's a lot in that right so like what I don't want this conversation to come to today is this idea of um, let's all just constantly doubt ourselves or like let's, let's, let's be strong enough to doubt these fundamental beliefs about, um, you know, the groups we come from or the like the cultures we come like that. That's such a cliche argument, right? Like, like, yeah, it would be great if everyone who came from a certain cultural climate or a certain political climate just immediately rethought all of their ideas. What makes Adam Grant's work so much more special is I think he provides really sound arguments on why you would seek to do that, right? Why, how someone can be brought from, you know, okay, I'm a Republican, grew up in a Republican family, all I care about is Republicanism, you know, how can that person ever be shifted out of that or, you know, vice versa with whatever you believe? Um, Cause I think it's very, you know, it's very simple. It's simple to just say, well, just rethink it, you know? And I think, I think that's been happening a lot actually online. I think a lot of people, a lot of celebrities, a lot of, you know, so-called intelligent people have been just shouting that we all need to question our beliefs. We all need, and, and I just think those arguments are going to fall flat if you don't have some of Adam Grant's tact, but you also don't have some of his, 
you know, really clever intelligence on how to navigate those issues. So that might be a little bit complicated. So I, I could go into a little bit more depth on what I mean by that. We could circle back to another thing. What, what do you want to talk about? Well, let's, since, since he does make it kind of a linchpin of his book in these conversations, we can pivot this to, I guess, talking about those three thinking patterns and those three communication patterns um, that Jared mentioned, that you mentioned, was the politician, the preacher, and the prosecutor uh, type thing. And I mean, to, to, to put them in the basic language, I mean, they're toxic thinking and communication styles. Is that how you would just like, well, how would you describe them or slash how do you, do you remember how exactly how he describes them in the book? Right. They're, they're, um, it's important to recognize that these can be, you know, you can take on these roles at any time. These are basically the roles that an individual takes on when discussing their views on, you know, essentially anything. The idea is that we can code switch between three different um, kind of mindsets, or there are three mindsets that we code switch between that are extremely negative or can right. be extremely negative, which are politician, prosecutor, and um, polit- uh, sorry, preacher. preacher. Yeah. Yeah. And, this is um, talks about, go ahead. Sorry. Go, go. I mean, he, he talks about like, you know, uh, the people, uh, one, one, uh, step that everybody needs to take is kind of identifying when you shift into these and, you know, he, you know, it's a fun thing that he likes to do, like have people identify what their primary one is. And, you know, he definitely feels like he's primarily a prosecutor and to kind of give you just the most simple breakdown of what these are. Um, like uh, somebody who shifts into like the politician mindset is very much, they're willing to kind of shift what they say and what they quote unquote believe or, um, what their stance is, they're willing to shift that to some degree, but only to the degree that it kind of benefits them, right? I'm willing to give some way when we're having an intellectual conversation, but only if it serves my end game, right? And then from a prosecutor standpoint, pretty simple. Um, you're, you're on the offensive to win only, you know, it's kind of the debater mindset, right? I'm always looking to trap you with logic. You know, I'm making barrage you. All I really care about at the end of the day is kind of winning the conversation, right? Not a fair exchange of ideas. Um, and then that's another one where the truth isn't necessarily as important to, to somebody who shifts into prosecutor mode as much as making his points or winning, Uh, in this context. And then lastly, you've got the preacher mode, which is this one, you're desperately caring about the truth, but so far to the point where you're not willing to acknowledge any other truth, you are indoctrinated in your truth. Your truth is the truth, and you are trying to push that on anybody you have the ability to push that on. Right. And, And it's important to note that even though everyone might have one of these that they fall into the most, what Adam Grant spends most of his time talking about and researching is how we switch in and out of these. So at your office, you might be the politician. You might be a little bit less willing to step on people's toes. And then when you're with your family, you might be a, you know, steadfast, uh, you know, preacher. You have these moral principles that you hold your family to or you hold yourself to or whatever. And that's just, that's what you do. And then maybe with your friends, you're into prosecutor mode. Um, and I definitely took the prosecutor mode um, kind of personally, but, but I think it actually shared a lot of wisdom on um, maybe something that, that we've done here on this podcast or, or maybe something that 
you know, a lot of people do, which is this trap of like, you know, a little bit, or like you hear a really person, a really smart person make an argument and you comprehend the argument fully. So therefore you think you're like ready and intelligent enough to go out and make the argument with the same level of intelligence. But what you don't have are the years of reading all of these studies and conducting all of these studies to, you know, wield the true information. Um, And in a lot of that, you actually, I've been thinking a little bit more about this. Sometimes you actually become a preacher of sorts because you take like someone like Adam Grant and you take his word at gospel because you care so much about it and you know that it's researched. And yes, I think you're safe to take his word as, you know, true, or at least as evidence-based trending towards true. But you actually become a preacher when you go to your friends and scream at them that he's right, but you don't actually understand the data point that he used to get there. Um, So I think there's a lot of that going on now is just, even when people do find legitimate resources for some of their, their stuff, they don't even come to arguments with enough scientific method approach, right? They're, they're like, well, I have my expert who used the scientific method. So boom, I get to tell you what's true. Right. The, the Dunning-Kruger, I watched a 10 minute YouTube video. And so now I'm going to proselytize this information. Well, I wouldn't see again now, based on my reading of Think Again, I'm not sure that's how I would define Dunning-Kruger. I think maybe you watched a five minute video on the Dunning-Kruger effect and now you're planning to be an expert. No, I get you. Um, yeah, that, that idea. Um, can we, can we just, can we just say, can I just say one thing here? So he, he gets, uh, all these people to say nice things about his book, right? As you're supposed to do on the back. Um, the first one is Daniel Kahneman, who, do you know Daniel Kahneman by name? (laughs) No, 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 of course not. Thinking fast and slow, which is actually a book I've heard, but I've never heard of that person followed up by Brene Brown, Bill and Melinda Gates, and then M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> I'm thinking he buried the lead somewhere in here. And it's not even in alphabetical order, so I have no idea why he, Bill and Melinda Gates got third on the list. There's no list Bill and Melinda Gates should be on where they're third on the list. The that, only that is- version of that that makes any sense is Bill and Melinda Gates said, I want to be third on the list. And make sure I'm one step above M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> and at that point, Adam Grant had no interest in getting M. Night Shyamalan to have a quote for the book. That's just what the gate said. And he went out and got Shyamalan. <laughs> okay. So this was pre-Shyamalan being involved. See, I read it more well, as like... Well, listen, hey, I describe most projects as pre-Shyamalan involvement. You know, like this... this podcast we're endeavoring, endeavoring on <laughs> is pre-Shyamalan. In future, in our future posterity, these times will be defined as the pre-Shyamalan times. Oh man, I was really hoping it was more of a situation where like Bill, uh, Bill and Melinda were like being really modest about it. And they're like, hey, put us last. And he was like, okay, well, I've also got these people. And they're like, oh, M. Night Shyamalan? No, no, no. Uh, in front of M. Night Shyamalan. I've got to be in front of M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> like, but, but last, but everybody else after everybody else. <laughs> Okay, so um, this is what I got really, really excited to talk about. So I did not tell you we needed to talk about this guy until after I heard one thing he said on one podcast that I thought was so genius, I genuinely almost cried. Like, 
sometimes there are things that are so smart, so simple that like you just get frustrated that your brain didn't put the pieces together. So um, Adam Grant was on Armchair Experts with um, Dak Shepard and Monica Patman. And um, they were just, I don't, this kind of is in the book, which is strange because it really seemed to come up organically. Um, And obviously they had a lot of points in the book that they needed to hit. But one thing that Adam Grant talked about on the podcast was um, how maybe this call right now from people in the middle a little bit to understand everyone's point of view on everything might actually not be the best way to get people to come together. So I'm going to speak in really broad generalizations for the next couple of minutes, just so I can get this point across. But basically what happened was uh, Dax and Monica were explaining, um, oh, just they wanted to get into a conversation with someone as smart as Adam about the uh, just unrest and arguments and all the craziness on social media where nobody seems to be getting along that escalated all the way to the Capitol riots. And um, Adam Grant was sort of speaking out against other really smart people and other, you know, self-styled intellectuals who have been kind of saying, we need to understand everybody's position. You need to listen to the other side. And Adam Grant said something so counterintuitive so interesting um, to me that I just thought we had to talk about it where he's, he said he's beginning to think that that mode of thinking that we just need to understand the other person's position is perpetuating this problem. And what he thought instead, and this actually goes back to his whole scientific method that you were getting at was let's say I am someone who really struggles with gun laws in the United States. I think the second amendment was written for a different time. I think that it is outdated, outmoded. I think it should totally be changed, totally be amended, whatever. And um, I am arguing or trying to talk to somebody who grew up in the, you know, in the rural countryside, never had a family member have any issues with guns at all, grew up in a hunting family. Guns are just a part of that person's life. Adam Grant was saying that the best way to maybe convince that person or to have a really thoughtful conversation where you might open that up to counterintuitive ideas on thinking isn't actually to like sit them down at a coffee shop and learn all about where they come from. It's instead best to look at the problem itself, like look at gun control and have a conversation about just how complicated a topic like that is like to actually to steal a mom from Gladwell line, deep dive into the particulars and really try to parse out the nuts and bolts of a complicated problem, complicated problems like fracking or abortion or, you know, since there's global warming, what are we actually going to do about it? That makes financial sense. That doesn't bust everybody's, you know, financial savings for the, like, like really complicated things we actually want to solve. The best way to get someone who disagrees with you to align with your perspectives is to deep dive on the complicated nuances of the topic. And I just thought, dang, yeah, that's what we all need to do. It's crazy that we all spend this time thinking because we just, it's painting with the same broad brush, the same broad brush you paint to say, 
all those people on that side are stupid or uneducated or blah, 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 all that hate speech. Well, it almost is like whitewashed love speech on the other side, just to say, all you need to do is understand their perspective and, and it's all going to be fine. It's like, well, no, maybe not. You still, you still hold your position. You still have opinions. Like how, how can your opinions ever line up with their opinions? It's only going to be through complicated, intricate conversation on the literal nuts and bolts of that topic. Right. And I, the thing that really stuck out to me now that you mentioned that, and we were talking about this is um, he points out something that is, is also really just blatantly genius, but it's not something that you just pops in your head. When, when we talk about stuff like that, when you're like, you need to understand people on the other side of the argument, right? When you say something like that, when you tell a Republican, they just need to understand, you know, we just, need, we just need to have more conversations with Democrats and really be empathetic toward them. And when you say, tell Democrats the exact same thing, you, we are reinforcing the binary problem, right? That there are two views and that those views are inherently not compatible. And that just doesn't make any sense, right? It, 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 it's also only going to worsen, maybe not worsen the quote unquote conflict, but it's going to worsen the philosophical issue that we have right now, which is you either have to be A or B, left, right, red, blue, whatever. And and it just funnels into that same problem, which is not something that I I ever really popped in my head. And I'm super passionate about that issue that we are dividing everything into a very black and white world right now, especially politically. And when you say, hey, you know, just you need to understand their points a little bit more. You are reinforcing that problem. Yeah, but it does make me worried. I like, and not that Adam Grant perpetuates this in any way, shape, or form, but I, I think I told you this like 18 like months ago or something. Like we were we happened to be together. And I just like I made the point that I'm getting very nervous about the frustrated, smart middle people. And I have this fear that over time, there's going to be like this easy way out of just saying, there's a lot to understand from both sides. Oh, there's a lot to learn from both sides. Oh, they're sometimes right there, sometimes right there. Oh, the answer is somewhere in the middle. And what I think Adam Grant's work or his, his conversation also gets us to think is, no, you also don't get a cop out with being agreeable to everybody right? Like that is also a problem. Anytime where you're lazily accepting the information passing by you, that's the problem. So, you know, whether you're so far on one side, so far on another side, or even just, you know, passionately stuck in the middle, if you're not deep diving on specific issues, it's, you're not helping anything. Right. And that kind of gets me, that kind of uh, transitions really well into another thing that he's really, really passionate about is you, we need to understand and acknowledge the stuff that we don't know. Right. And that really jumps us straight into that. Cause when you say stuff like that, right. He, he doesn't, you, we don't, we can't just simplify everything down to, okay, yeah, sure. That makes sense. I'm now on that side or I'm now in the middle now because, you know, I'm, I'm going to be agreeable. I'm going to go along with this because, you know, I want to make things better. I want to mend things. But when in the truth is you don't really understand that, the, the, the state, your quote unquote new stance, you have to, uh, if you essentially, if you're going to be involved in that, then understand it. Right. 
and and there's nothing wrong with acknowledging and we should acknowledge not only acknowledge but keep he literally keeps a list of things that he doesn't know about and he just adds stuff to his list constantly what's up right and that that was a really interesting part of the book and it's been a really interesting part of his uh his talks that he's gone on um about the book What's really interesting, though, about that is it's not the things we're completely ignorant to that are the problem. So what Adam Grant is really smart to pick up on is when fake intelligence or pretending you know more than you actually do becomes a problem is when you're like a little bit experienced on a topic. That is when you are the most dangerous. I have a a friend who is a um, fire captain here in uh, the, the city I live. And he has this famous kind of, well, famous saying like in his little community, I don't think it's gone global. Um, but, but he has this thing where he says, if you train for your fire one certification, you know, just the, you know, you learn just the amount it takes to get you killed or something is what he, is what he says. Um, and I thought when I heard Adam Grant talk about this, that was, that was the first thing I thought of where like I take a couple cooking classes. So therefore I now think I'm an expert in cooking, right? When what I've actually done is just poke through the surface of getting interested in a topic. And that's when I need to be the most open to this idea that I actually know nothing about that topic. Classic and- Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope our listener is really appreciating our jokes. Uh, but... You know, and that was another spot. If the whole um, prosecutor thing kind of I took personally, this whole like, you know, armchair expert thing really, really, really made me feel bad. Like I had I had a heart to heart in the mirror. Is that how that works? I think I'm mixing my metaphors here. But I truly like when read that chapter had to had to like sit myself down for a few minutes and think, yeah, you suffer from that problem. You definitely listen to a couple of things and, um, you know, very quickly, like, I, you know, like pretend, you know, not even like, and it's not, it's kind of like it, it traps you. Like you don't do it on purpose, but, but whenever you get experienced to really intelligent people and you hear them maybe talk about something once or twice, like your brain just wants to tell you it's the, that you're done with it. You learned everything you need to learn and it's over. And that's why, like, when you really talk to intelligent people about stuff they know, they ask you more questions than they sometimes answer things. Like, if you ever tried to talk to a really smart person about their field, they don't give you nice, like, try to talk to a financial advisor about what to do with your money tomorrow. Like, they're going to have a billion questions on what your goals are, how risky you're willing to be, how, like, it depends on so many freaking variables. And try to talk to a sommelier about wine. Like, try to recommend, try to have a sommelier recommend a wine for you tomorrow just by asking the question, what wine should I have tomorrow? That person would lose their mind. Like, when really smart people talk about something, they, they almost sound for a split second or two lost. And what they're lost in is actually their intelligence, the amount of gained knowledge that they have on a topic from years and years and years of experience, you know, 
that was that also was a connection I made when I heard him say that, like really thinking about what experts sound like and how they operate and, you know, how, you know, they're masters of their craft and they've gotten their mouth from Gladwell 10,000 hours. And um, I just thought all that was super interesting. Um, I definitely think a challenge would be, I think if you are going to do Adam Grant's little game of write a list of the things you're not you like you're ignorant about. I actually thought like maybe having two sections, like the things you know, not literally nothing about and you'd like to learn about. And then the really hard section, try to pick those three or five things that you think you know a lot about, but you actually need to read a couple of books first before you could ever pretend you, you really know about that. Um, so, you know, that, that's just something that, that was a really interesting part too. I mean, just, just, he, he's got so many, you'll turn the page and he won't really 180 on you. Like everything has a nice structure that flows together, but there's just so many worthwhile points, um, that he makes that are practical. Like I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's one thing to hear a smart person say something smart, but if it's about the cosmos and it's never going to affect you in a real literal way, it's hard to take seriously. Everything Adam Grant says has to do with your psychological well-being or your well-being at work or your well-being in relationships. Like it's just all so practical. Right. No, I, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's, it's so interesting how, how much he, <clears throat> that everything just, and it, it's, it's so crazy because he identifies these problematic thought habits that exist in literally every person, right? He's not like, addressing things that are like DSM diagnosable psych conditions, right? He, he pretty much everything he lists or something you can be like, okay, yeah, I definitely do that. Sometimes I definitely do that sometimes. Oh crap. I do that a lot. Like it's, it's it, everything it are just problematic thought patterns that everyone kind of experiences. And like, yeah. like you were saying, right. Like he almost, that's a really good point. I never thought about this before, but he almost like, like when I think the average person hears the term psychology, their immediate thought is depression, anxiety, you know, actual legitimate disorders. And what Grant does so well is when he hears or uses the term psychology, he's referring to the functional output of your brain on a daily, like on a consistent daily basis. He's just saying you live inside your head and your head's trying to make you be successful in the world. What's that like? Like, that's really interesting and worth your time because I would venture to guess that 100% of your experience has been inside of your head. So it might be worth your time to, to listen to an expert who talks about that. Right. I think it, one of the cool, like you could, you could go through here and like, I just bullet, uh, like halfway through bullet pointing these out, I just realized like you could simplify, like you could. So do, what does that mean? So do you like, did you do like a semicircle on the bullet point? So is that, you know, like halfway through bullet pointing it, oh, did you like do, yeah. or is it, it was, like the outside is shaded, but not the inside? Yeah. They didn't get filled in. That was, that, yeah. was, that was, that was that one. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a circle. And then like my bullet points are circles and then, you know, gradually smaller circles till it's filled in. That's, that's yeah, you don't lift the pen though. Right. So you, no, it's a no, circle, no. but then you keep going. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's a swirly that gets so, it gets so dark. It becomes a bullet point, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> The thing is, he this you could he, easily. He's somebody who could do one of those like Adam Grant's ten rules for life or his twelve rules for life, and they would be legitimate and they would be good. Like I just started 
half my bullet points here is just life advice from Adam Grant. And I just right. bullet pointed these down. Bring them out. Is, okay. Our guest I mean, the, the, first, the first one that's, that falls into that category for me our, is- Our guest. It, <laughs> our listener. Sorry. Um, is everybody needs a challenge network, right? And that was such a big part of the, the stuff. I don't talk- think that's true. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm your challenge network, buddy. I got it. I, 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 I understand that. Uh, but like you, you need people who are going to call you on lazy thinking, bad thinking, uh, call you on your crap essentially. And not just somebody who is, you know, not, not just somebody who just likes criticizing people, but somebody who is literally paying attention to how you are thinking, how, you know, paying attention to your thought process and being like, Hey, that's not great. You shouldn't like, uh, you're kind of oversimplifying this. You're, you know what? This is it's a broad thing. Like they could, uh, but people tend to surround themselves, especially in the day of the internet, when half of especially younger people's interactions are with people on the internet. You tend we do this the echo chamber. You know, you tend to get in the echo chamber, and you're only watching stuff, listening to stuff, talking to people who agree with you, and you you lose out on that challenge network who are like, hey slow down a second. Like, let's talk about this. Let's really break this down uh, to make sure that you're, that you're saying the things you're saying, you believe the things you believe you're subscribing to the ideas you're subscribing to for the right reasons. And so, I mean, that's, that's one of the most important things. And that's the first bullet point I wrote down for, for, you know, my Adam Grant life advice. Yeah. Good. Good. I mean, the only, no, the only, the only spot my brain went to with that is, um, I don't know how you feel. I do sometimes struggle. Like a lot of times, you know, life advice people, preachers, professors, yada, 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 will give some sort of message that you need people in your life to, to check you, to keep you grounded. It's a, I personally struggle with the concept of using people in that way. And I don't like, it's not because I'm such a nice person. I don't want to use people that way. My brain, like when I hear that advice, I get... I don't know if it's nerves or frustrate. Like there's just no version of myself where I'm going to be like, Hey, Josh, be my challenge network. Right. And I think and I'm the, not saying that's what he's saying. Right. Um, you know, I do know that I have people who are going to call me on my BS. So that's kind of, I think more or less all he means. Right. The bigger um, point is don't avoid, like you need, don't, don't stop associating with people who disagree with you, who call you out on stuff. Sure. Like that's sure. 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 Right. Uh, the second one I have here, the second piece of Adam Grant life advice is much more specific. It's a, it's a lot better in terms of. Uh, that's good. Start with the bad one and then go to this one. Right. That's I really like to like he likes to, you know, backload his uh, the people commenting on his book. I like to backload my list of Adam Grant life advice. So, hey, good my, use of the word backload. That would be great. <laughs> um. The compound word. He had this, uh, he talks about in one of the podcasts I listened to about his discussion he had with a former student who was essentially just trying to get his advice. Like, should I go to grad school and get my um, MBA that she, she got the, her uh, uh, bachelor's in business from, from school from Wharton and was a student of uh, Quit clicking your oh, pen. That's right. We have listeners, listener, listener. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Listener. Um, but his essentially, you know, he, he essentially had a strong opinion and was very forthcoming with that strong opinion. And then kind of, he got into that prosecutor mindset and he kind of buried her with facts 
was not really listening to what she was saying, not really listening to how she felt about the situation, we just kind of buried her and then realized that's not great, especially since she makes good points. And essentially out of this, he decided in the course of conversations, when we're having conversations like this, where there are at least two sides to the argument, if not more, we should stop and acknowledge when we feel like the other party makes valid arguments, right? When you're like, yes, I uh, like, we need to stop and be like, oh, I understand that. That's absolutely true. Like, let's think about that for a second. Or, you know, essentially any good intellectual conversation, there's going to be some amount of give and take. And his, his opinion is essentially let the other person know when that give and take is, is taking place, right? When you, when you, have a disagreement with that particular point or when this person just made a couple points and you actually kind of agree with a little bit, you know, find, find that common ground, acknowledge that common ground and acknowledge that the other person isn't just an object you are arguing against. It's a person actually making some points. Right. And um, this is something that Adam Grant doesn't get at, but it's just absolutely what he's talking about. And I've seen some really expert people that I work with do it, which is, you don't always have to reveal all your cards when talking to somebody. So let's say you're having that classic conversation with a coworker who is really settled in their opinions, really, really sure of what they believe in and why they believe in it. Well, let's say you completely disagree with this person. What's the best plan of attack? We've already talked about how A, the best plan of attack is to descend into the particulars to, to really get at the science of the conversation. But one step further, which goes along with what you're saying right now, you can also be interested in the science. So, so for example, if someone says, no, we have to do it this way. This is the most productive way to do it. You can come right back at them with the same level of enthusiasm. You can be like, oh, you know what? You know, the way we would prove that that's the most productive is if we do this, this, and this, and that's the most successful, right? Like, you know, that, like if you can get them to agree by the test, that would determine that they're right. You know what I mean? If you can actually break down their thought process so much into detail where you can say, oh, I see what you're saying. We could actually test that. Or, or the way to think about that is like this. And then you'd also test the other side by doing this and which one was more productive. Like I know everyone doesn't have the resources and time at their job to run an infinite amount of psychological tests, but like when you don't come at them, your demeanor is what matters. When you don't come at them as an iron shield of the other side, but you actually come at them as an insightful, interested observer in the data. Yeah. You come across a little bit like a dork, but a dork, they super respect. Like it becomes very easy when you're wearing that scientist hat to take a second and be like, well, you know what? I might actually disagree with you because if you run the program this way, I think it might actually lead to more success or maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. But like you could actually like, like when you talk that way, when you project or present yourself in that manner, and I've seen really smart people I work with, like I said, who are much better at navigating workplace conversations than I am. I'm kind of a little bit of a logic bully sometimes, but um, you know, that's the most effective way to do it is to get excited about the research, get excited about the specifics, get excited about learning how to navigate that space. Yeah, definitely. Um, you want me to go on to the next, what, I mean, what do you want? 
He so. got, you said you had his best light. You actually are writing a book right now, which is Adam Grant's <laughs> Rules for Life by Josh Leiter. Right. I, I should do that. There's like zero chance I would get sued doing that. Like literally zero. Yeah, I think he's too nice of a guy probably to sue me for that. I think me. he does work at the Wharton School of Business. So like maybe, maybe play it, maybe be careful. He would probably sue you for all your worth and then explain really, really kindly why that was the right thing to do. Right. I mean, the next, the next one I wrote down was, well, you mean, you already, you, you already would talk to me about it, which was the, uh, like switching perspectives type thing. Like anytime you're at really heavy odds with somebody, like in terms of opinion, like you, at least part of your thought process needs to be like, all right, exactly how would it affect me if nothing about the situation changed, nothing about my own brain changed, but I was just born, raised, whatever, in a different scenario from the one I was, or, you know, went to school in the scenario this person did or blah, 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 you know, any, any number of huge variables uh, to switch out. So, I mean, I wrote that one down, but I mean, we, you already kind of talked about that one. Um, and then, I mean, he, he did, he went on for a, a decent amount. I want to say it was when he was on the Rich Roll uh, podcast. Um, they went on for a de- they, they hit on um, cancel culture a little bit. And he has some really interesting uh, and cool views on cancel culture. This one's not as easy, like rule for life, but I think we both uh, have a lot of feelings about the cancel culture uh, type thing. And uh, as it's, uh, as it's related to a plethora of, of things and not the least politics and black lives matter and, and whatever in, in all of that situations, um, and he has some really interesting ways to think about it in terms of we need to have some like intellectual safety to to pose difficult questions, right? And he he he's really worried about that at the moment that uh, essentially we don't have this intellectual safety, and and obviously within that we have to understand the difference between posing a difficult question with intellectual integrity and saying something overtly hateful because I wanted to say something hateful, right? We have to, as a society, be able to understand the difference between those two things. I mean, would you agree with that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, cancer culture is a whole different worth, probably another podcast length of time. I mean, I, I, (laughs) a la Adam Grant, I'm not sure I like painting cancel culture with a large brush either because I'm almost equally frustrated by let's be honest the same sounding 47 year old white guy who, who has very negative things to say about cancel culture right. like that also is incredibly problematic that I'm hearing the exact same argument made by the exact same type of person time after time right. um, on why cancel culture is wrong even though ultimately like I have seen people be canceled for intellectually legitimate arguments. And that really does not only frighten me, but like infuriate me. So ultimately I might even be on the side of these random people, but like their lack of tact when trying to explain their frustration is really, 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 I'll add another really, just in case you wanted one, um, you know, frustrating too. Like when, when Sam Harris attacks or and Elon Musk attack cancel culture and they don't for one second try to acknowledge 
what cancel culture, how it, like, it's like a psychological phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like it's not, they pretend that it's this, like they pretend it's a, think about that. Two highly intelligent people, Sam Harris and Elon Musk respectively. Like when they talk about cancel culture, it's almost like they think a room full of people all mutually agree at the same time. I don't care what this person's intention was. Let's bury them. When in all actuality, yeah, maybe the first couple of people ignore intention and attack, but then it's just like, it's just the big wheel keeps on turning and people jump on the bandwagon. People try to get clout for doing like, there's, there's so many, like, it's such a complicated conversation. I I do hate, um, sorry, I didn't need to go down that tangent. It's a point that needs made that regardless of whether I ultimately agree that cancel culture is completely wrong or not, which I I probably do. It it just, the the way it's talked about now is almost as dumb as the culture itself. Right. I mean, anti cancel culture in the year and now in the year 2021 is just as big as, as cancel culture is now. Like it truly is. And it's become just as broad brush painting obnoxious. I totally get what you're saying. Um, he he was just expressing some. He, he's a I mean, he's a big free speech guy, right? I mean he he's he's big on people need to be able to intellectually try ideas as long as they are doing it in a way that is um, in good faith, right? If you are doing it for intellectual reasons, we need to allow people to say stuff, even if we find that stuff to be absolutely stupid or even at times ignorant. If if their if their goal isn't hate, if their goal isn't ignorance, then we can't be, um, you know, we can't be all encompassingly obsessed with people not being able to say controversial things. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll bump off that, um, real quick. Uh, he, he, um, when he was on politics and prose, I don't know if that P R O S E, is that a word, Mr. English teacher? What is it? Yes. What, is, yes. what does it mean? It means not poetry. Okay. Um, so there's a, a podcast, Politics and Prose, and he was on it. And they get into like uh, some child development stuff, which is really fascinating uh, to hear him be. And he, one of, he thinks one of the most important things that you can possibly teach your kids is that it, is to understand and be able to take constructive criticism. He's like, that is one of the most important responsibilities of a parent is to instill in your kids. It is okay to not be good at something at first. It is okay to need criticism. And he actually does these really cool things where he um, comes home. He's like, Hey kids, we are going to do an art project tonight as like a family thing, but you have to do at least three drafts of the art project. That way, every single, that's why the first couple of times we are comfortable pointing out what we could do better, pointing out what maybe our flaws are, and then working on those flaws. And he makes that an active thing that he does with his kids. Um, and he's made a thing now about like his, he, you know, he doesn't want his kids to have any kind of complexes in terms of they only see dad's finished books that are being raved about by the New York Times. And they only see the final TED, the TED Talks to get recorded. So he actually started sharing with them his initial drafts for stuff and how much he changes and how much he gets wrong the first time around. I wonder how many times his kids has been like, dad, I don't care. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I, I had that little thought when he was like drafting this book. Like, how much, how much of these rough drafts are you reading? Like, are you making them go through like a couple hundred pages? Hey, six-year-old son, here are two hundred and fifty <laughs> pages of my first rough draft of my psychologically complicated book. Right. Um, no, that's actually a point that I wanted to get to. Um, so I'm happy you brought that full circle. Uh, Yes, not only being able to take constructive criticism, but there's actually a lot of good advice on how to take constructive criticism. And it has to do with, um, and some people are just going to be better at it. And there's actually a lot of studies that that might be cultural. Um, But separating yourself from what you've produced, right? So if someone is critical, I'm going to, I'm going to pee real quick while you keep making this point. Um, oh, this will be good. Yeah, desperately. Yeah. But I still have my headphones on. So, you know, our, our one listener is not going to care. I don't think, I don't think. Are you going to hear me? Yes. That's the whole point. Correct. Okay. All right. Hey, come back. Thought he might come back. And then that'd been funny. Cause then I would have had what? Oh, he did come back. That's funny. I could also just cut this out at the end, but I'm not going to remember to do that. Josh, hey, cut this out in post. <laughs> Great. That'll make me remember things. He's not going to cut this out in post, nor should he. Um, so there's, there's this idea that, um, and I, for some reason it was, it was coming up in um, some conversations I was actually listening to about comedians. And the idea was that, maybe some cultures or maybe just some individuals are a lot better at separating criticism from um, themselves compared to what they produce. So for example, if your job is like, if you're a marketer, right? This seems to be the best example I can come up with. And you're tasked with putting a lot out to the public, whether it's, you know, the way the graphics look, the way everything is displayed, the timing of everything. Like there's all these things you can be critiqued for, how everything looks, how everything feels. Um, What some people are a lot better at is when their boss dislikes something or disapproves of something and they start to critique it, what that person can do really well is be like, okay, I am, you know, this person and I've made these mistakes on this project. The problem is the project. The problems are these specific mistakes I made on the projects where a lot of us, myself definitely included in this, internalize those critiques, right? So when someone critiques the work that we do, we, we really take that personally. So it's, the idea is something inside my brain or my heart must have been wrong. That's why I produced something that was wrong. Whereas some people totally separate those things out, which makes so much more sense, right? Like we all drive cars every day. We all make dumb mistakes, right? We've ran some red lights. We've missed the fact that the light turned green, right? We all make little mistakes every day and we have no problems brushing those off as environmental. Oh, I missed that green light. The problem there was in that moment, I was looking away, right? The, The problem isn't that, inside, internally, I'm the type of person who misses green lights, right? That's a ridiculous thought. That doesn't make any sense. But when it comes to things like our occupation, or it comes to things in our family, or it comes to our art or our creativity or whatever we're passionate about, taking criticism for it, it just tends to be something that we internalize and we make it about who we are and what we are instead of about whatever it is we've produced. So don't do that is basically his advice. 
Right. No, no. I mean, it, it, it definitely is an important um, thing that goes towards, again, how you think about uh, how, how we are thinking about um, the things we're doing and, and, the, and the beliefs we hold. Um, and, and, and that almost brings me to the end of my list. I don't know. Is there something else you wanted to talk about? I think um, the only thing else I really have that we didn't now we, we actually hit on a couple of the things that I've written down. So it was kind of had to skip over those. Um, but, but then the idea that, uh, that we should build up and encourage people in our life who, who help us question things. Right. And then that's just kind of something he's really passionate about, about, uh, your ability to question things, uh, is literally the title, essentially the title of the book, Think Again, is is essentially question your assumptions, um, question your thought patterns, question everything like that. And it's just it's it's really important to have somebody or to have to um, uh, encourage the questioning of of those things. Yeah, in fact, he does a TED talk where he um, really encourages a group of people called disagreeable givers. And I don't have time to explain what all of those things mean, but essentially what he means is we should praise the people at our jobs and in our lives who constantly disagree with us, but do so for our own benefit, right? Like, you know, that, that curmudgeon who, you know, feels like a stick in the mud all the time, are they self-obsessed, self-absorbed and kind of sad, or are they, do they have a certain way of expressing themselves that is ultimately to our benefit, but they just disagree with us when we're wrong or when they think we're wrong, you know? Um, So I thought that was really cool. It's, it's nice. It's, I think one of the things that makes him awesome to listen to is the fact that someone that nice is often praising harsh miss like he's okay with being harsh he's okay with taking criticism he's okay with giving criticism and you don't expect that from someone so kind but he also proves to you that he can take it and he proves to you that he can dish out and he proves to you that he has the scientific logic and reasoning to back up what it is he's talking about right i think he's really he doesn't I, i i love how much he doesn't like to be philosophical about these things right these he doesn't like to paint with big brush strokes even when he says stuff like um you know you need to have somebody who who's willing to be that disagreeable uh person in your life that that um giving you know is that what you it's a disagreeable disagreeable giver giver, right um the disagreeable giver you have to understand the difference between somebody who's a disagreeable giver and somebody who is kind of just a bitter person who wants to put you to put somebody down. Right. There, there's definitely a difference between that. And he, you know, it's something he talks about when he talks about this stuff It's like, you have to make these differentiations. You know, he, he can't spoot, you know, you can't be, uh, you've got to kind of find that sweet spot between painting with a super broad brush, but also I can't spell everything out for you in every situation you could, you could come upon. Right. So you need to have people who, are willing to call you on stuff who are willing to be disagreeable, but at the same time, aren't doing it for malicious reasons are doing it for giving, giving reasons. Agreed. All right. Is there, is there more you want to talk about with him? No, I think at this point we have exhausted, um, you know, what it is we can talk about in this amount of time. I, I will just say 
that um, in the field of psychology, there are a lot of studies that maybe you could like call into question. You're like, wait, but that would be a really hard study to actually test. And that would be a really hard, like, and I think that is totally fine. Like if you read Adam Grant's book, think again, if you like all these things, it's totally okay to question them. Like, but what we can't question is that psychology, as it gets better and better and better and more people study and study and study it, it is a great place for all of us to spend more of our time, energy, and resources. Like it is the better philosophy. I, I think a lot of people, especially when they maybe first get to college, are trying to figure themselves out a little bit. I think spend way too much time in this impractical realm of trying to find big truths when psychology is getting really, really good and better every single year at giving us really small truths that actually lead to more life satisfaction and more happiness and more, um, you know, just good. And psychologists aren't afraid to say things like good. Like, is, was your outcome today good or bad? And they backtrack and they actually try to get you to an outcome that you're happy with, which I think is not only super cool, but, um, you know, just really easy to understand and really easy to gravitate towards if uh, that sounds like something you might be into. So Adam Grant, uh, I think you said this before we started, if everyone just took about an hour to listen to Adam Grant, um, our world would become at least 50% better within the hour. So, um, you know, just hearing the way he talks would be enough to make everyone smarter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you just cannot overstate how useful, just how useful everything he says is. It's crazy. Yes, I agree with you. All right, well, from everyone here at the Lighter Side Podcast, and I do mean everyone, Josh, me, and our listener, uh, we are wishing you a fantastic day. Um, we have no interest here in changing what you think, just how we all think. Have a good day, everybody. 